Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. You have tuned in to episode number 517 of Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And tonight we are doing our short topics episode. So welcome into the short topics. This is where we talk about some amateur radio news, some open source news, some stuff that might help you out using Linux in your ham shack and who knows what else. But we're glad you joined us. Thanks for being here. And as been the case for quite a while, Cheryl W5MOO is not going to be with us tonight. But the two of us are here. So I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, so as we normally do on our Short Topics episode, we're going to start off with some amateur radio topics, and uh, I guess I'll go ahead and do the first one here because Bill should probably handle the next one. Uh, And this is a story about blogs.radio. It's a new website using fresh RSS that has a feed of various amateur radio content providers online, and if you currently have a feed reader that you watch amateur radio blogs on, For other sites, this might be a great companion for discovery of other sites and maybe replace your amateur radio feed reader. And I did see that there was a place to submit things, so I'm going to email them and see if we can get Linux in the Hamshack listed on their podcast list, because they do have one. So Sweet. And I think right now it's only like this week in amateur radio or something, but... uh, Oh no, it's got uh, lots of other blogs and stuff like that. I've been kind of perusing it over the last... Last couple of weeks. I think there's only like one podcast, specifically podcast. There's oh, lots of oh. stuff on there. Okay, yeah, podcast, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I definitely want to get on there. And uh, I, I did look through it. It looks like a pretty um, complete feed. Lots and lots of uh, amateur blogs and stuff on there. So lots of feed content. And uh, maybe it'll help us find some, some news articles. So Yeah, it could be a replacement for the Southgate ARC <laughs> news feed that we were using before, right? Yeah, which there was already a replacement for that we talked about, and I can never remember what it is. So <laughs> to go back to our <laughs> own podcast to find what that is, but yeah, yep. more more resources always good, and of course a link to blogs.radio if you can't remember blogs.radio will be in the show notes. So check it out, and of course Bill, you know, had to sneak this next one in here, but <laughs> I totally understand because it's kind of a slow news week. So uh, go for it. Yeah, definitely a slow news week here. But uh, yeah, we're about a month out from Jamboree on the Air and Jamboree on the Internet. Uh, it's the largest international scouting event. And of course, uh, it's something we can participate as amateurs on the air with them. Uh, every third weekend in October, the internets and the airwaves are lit up from scouters getting scouts on the air and various tools via the Internet. You can find many resources for Joda and Joe Tai or Joe T on the K2BSA website. Please register your station on the jotajotai.info website. That's the J-O-T-A-J-O-T-I dot I-N-F-O website. If you're interested in participating at that level, um, it is October 20th through the 22nd. 
and it pretty much runs, uh, you know, from from Friday evening local time until uh, Sunday evening local time. Uh, generally, if you do register your station, you'll get. Uh, uh, I mean, I haven't heard confirmation of this because the international team is a little bit slow on uh, getting the information out. But uh, there will be uh, probably a Jam Puzz ID or something similar to that that you can trade back and forth that scouts may ask for. Uh, if you have scouts, definitely register your station so they can collect uh, follow-up information on your activation to see how that was. Um, but uh, yeah, it should be a pretty good uh, pretty good weekend. The bands should be pretty good. You'll find most of the stations on or around the scout frequencies, which are on the upper end of the general portion of the bands, NHF, uh, as well as um, you know, D-Star, DMR. There's, there's plenty of talk groups out there, as well as Echolink, uh, the Star, Joda 365 Star, plus there's some other Joda Echolink nodes out there that you can use. And you'll probably even hear them on your local repeaters as, uh, as local groups try to get uh, radio merit badges complete and other activities uh, related to uh, Joda, Jodi. Um, that weekend. So uh, be on the lookout. Uh, there's already patches out for those of you that collect patches. Uh, you can find them on the uh, Scout Shop. And yeah, yeah. So uh, it's coming up here uh, in, in a short month. All right. Very good. I'll probably participate in that because I think I did last year, if I remember correctly. And uh, it's cool. And since I was also on the air with some of the Scouts at the uh, National Jamboree, that was pretty cool. Cool. All right, so the next thing we have is a, a bit of kit uh, on the advertisement website, Hackaday. <laughs> <laughs> but this this actually sounds pretty cool. This is a story about the SDR Dock 1.0. It's a next-level SDR device designed for both enthusiasts and professionals, built on a Raspberry Pi platform. Where are they getting the pies from? Come on, let us all know. Yeah. <laughs> SDR Dock aims to enhance the SDR experience by integrating all essential hardware components onto a single streamlined PCB. With the convenience of 3D printable enclosures and compatibility with various SDR dongles, this device is both accessible and versatile. What sets it apart is its tactile interface, featuring user-friendly knobs and buttons that transform complex SDR tasks into an intuitive and engaging experience. Yes, these sound very advertising. (laughs) Whether you're a beginner or an expert, SDR Dock turns the radio spectrum into your personal playground. The current model is assembled from readily available components. The ultimate aim is to design a single integrated PCB featuring all essential parts and connectors. This streamlined approach will result in a more compact, durable, and easy-to-service device. The build requires a Raspberry Pi. Oh, oh, they're not providing them. I see. So, (laughs) good luck getting one of these built. Um, Potentially a compute module, a battery, and a 3D printed enclosure for the device. STL files are on the website. So if you're intrigued by the expansive world of radio frequencies, SDR Dog could be your ideal companion. It's not merely about tuning into frequencies. It's about transforming the radio spectrum into your personal interactive playground. Sure it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's, it's a cool looking device, though. I will say that. Yeah, and it basically brings the interface of uh, GQRX up to uh, up to the screen. So essentially, if you're familiar with GQRX, this would be a very familiar device to use. But uh, it does kind of uh, it does simplify the usage um, for some users that maybe um, yeah don't want to do a full blown Linux install or something like that and have all the other applications and they just kind of want. To play around with an SDR device, this sounds this sounds and looks like a really intriguing device for that kind of desktop experience. You know, small form factor with a screen on it and everything else. And apparently, you can plug in your choice of uh, SDRs. Currently, I think the uh, RTL SDR is uh, definitely one of those. I think uh, the AirSpy and maybe a few others, at least uh, for the initial 
initial support uh, and and um, yeah, the initial support and and whatever you want to call this, <laughs> early adopters for a for a 1.0 device. Yeah, absolutely. It, it even has a seven inch touch screen, and it's you know it looks pretty slick. And of course, you you uh, have to either have a 3D printer or have access to somebody who has one because the case is you know build it yourself. But that's the nature of kits. It does look pretty cool. So if you can get your hands on a Raspberry Pi, um, you know, try one of these out. Do we happen to see how much they cost? I think it's mostly a put it together yourself kind of project. Yeah, it said something about a compute module, but I wonder what compute. Yeah, because it's no, showing it's the like Raspberry Pi compute module. That's a, oh, that's a Pi compute module. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's showing like having to have like faders and pots and you know buttons and stuff like that. So and then there's a PCB, which I guess all this stuff attaches to. <laughs> so hmm, yeah, because yeah. it looks like a hat. There's a hat. So, yeah, it might be an interesting project. More information to come. They do have all of the components listed there on the website. So you'll need a, a battery charger and a 10, you know, 10,000 milliamp hour battery, a 7-inch LCD screen. And they have links to all the products that they use to kind of build it, a potentiometer, a rotary controller with switch. You know, you'll need four sliders, four rotary controllers, a volume pot with a switch. It looks like most of the stuff you can get directly off of Amazon. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it looks like you can assemble this mostly yourself with uh, the instructions that they uh, they provide, as well as there's a bunch of discussion um, items in there where people have uh, attempted this as well. So looks like a cool kit building project if you're into that kind of thing and you want to have access to an SDR that you don't just plug into your PC and link to your existing antennas or whatnot. So it, it shows an antenna built onto it, but I don't think it shows that as one of the the parts. So no. obviously it's either going to be the piece that comes with your RTL SDR or whatever, or something you go pick up. So, all right. Well, that brings us down to some open source topics. So uh, Bill, go ahead and hit the first one here. Yeah, this is one I just found on the uh, opensource.com website. Cause yeah, I was fishing for open source topics and this sort of kind of was interesting a little bit. This is edit your photos with open source artificial intelligence. And of course, everything's all about AI and ML these days. So, uh, this is your dose of AI for uh, this podcast. Uh, this is called Upscale. U-P-S-C-A-Y-L is a free and open source program that uses open source artificial intelligence to upscale low resolution images. Uh, Upscale works on Linux, Windows, and Mac OS. It's easy to install on Linux, whether you use an RPM or dev packages. And its uh, website contains a universal Linux app image, too, for those of you that participate in app images. Uh, for Mac OS and Windows, you can download the installers from the project's website website upscale is released with an agpl license uh, once ins- la, la. once installed you can begin upscaling your images the gui software is very easy to use the software makes your old images look like they were taken yesterday with image resolutions that far exceed the originals uh, in addition you can batch scale entire folders and photo albums of images and upscale them all at once and uh, this is of course is linked in uh, in the show notes and uh, yeah it definitely looks like an interesting tool for uh, some of those really old photos I have some old ones that were snapped from a webcam <laughs> with uh, my oldest son when he was just a baby. And I was just messing around the computer with him on my lap. And I'm like, hmm, uh, I was thinking of possibly downloading this and trying it out with that just to see how well it does. So I, I didn't get a chance to do it yet because I was just throwing these notes together recently. And as your commenter said, 
<laughs> we don't do research on this stuff. Uh, no, but I will try this out and uh, give feedback later on. So, uh, yeah, upscale. Up, U-P-S-C-A-Y-L is, uh, looks pretty interesting. I will definitely do the same because I can think off the top of my head of quite a few pictures that were taken on an old uh, Canon, like not even a megapixel digital camera that I had several years back that I would love to get some good high resolution out of. So I'm going to give it a shot myself. All right, so moving on, we have a story about Ubuntu. Ubuntu 23.10, Mantic Minotaur, or Minotaur, or whatever, it's Minotaur, is now powered by Linux kernel 6.5. Development on Ubuntu 23.10 kicked off in late April this year, quickly after the release of Ubuntu 23.04, Lunar Lobster, and it initially shipped with its, you know, I don't think I knew until today that that's what 2304 was. <laughs> And it initially shipped with its Linux 6.2 kernel, which has already been backported last month to the long-term support Ubuntu 2204 LTS, Jamie Jellyfish, series with the release of Ubuntu 2204.3 LTS. During the development cycle of Ubuntu 23.10, the development team upgraded the kernel to Linux 6.3, which was default until today. The latest daily build ISO image from September 16th is powered by Linux kernel 6.5, which is also offered as an upgrade option for those who are already using Ubuntu 23.10. Linux kernel 6.5 comes with some exciting new features like Wi-Fi 7 support, MIDI 2.0 support, and ALSA. ALSA. Still using ALSA? <laughs> ACPI support for the RISC-V architecture, landlocked support for UML, which is user mode Linux, a TPMI interface driver for Intel RAPL, as well as numerous new and updated drivers for top-notch hardware support. Ubuntu 23.10 also looks to bring back the ZFS on root installation option, which was missing from the previous 23.04 release due to the move to the new Ubuntu desktop installer written in Flutter. And that came from 9 to 5 Linux, which a link to the story, of course, will be in the show notes. And 23.10 will be here before we know it, because we're already at 23.9. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it won't be very long now. Sounds good. Exciting new stuff. Really, really modern kernels. Remember when kernels were like two? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so sad. <laughs> you know, it seemed like two was around forever and ever and ever and ever. And then all of a sudden there was three and now it's six. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Yes, speaking it, of six. Yeah, we got LMDE6 Linux Mint Debian Edition beta is now available to download. Uh, the next major update in the LMDE series uh, is based on the Debian 12 Bookworm, which offers a significantly fresher stack of software than the available uh, to users of LMDE 5, meaning as upgrades goes, this is a compelling one. <clears throat> LMDE endeavors to offer an experience that's close to Linux Mint as possible without relying on the Ubuntu infrastructure. Uh, maintaining LMDE also enables Mint to ensure its homegrown software is compatible with Linux distros outside of the Ubuntu sphere. Its chief reason for existing, however, is insurance. Uh, to quote the Linux Mint website, LMDE's goal is to ensure Linux Mint can continue to deliver the same user experience if Ubuntu was ever to disappear. It allows us to assess how much we depend on Ubuntu. Uh, the foundational update is the main feature in the LMDE 6. Everything else is largely the same as the recent Linux Mint 21.2 release. Uh, you know, Examples are Cinnamon 5.1, touchpad gesture support, resize Mint menu, redesign the software manager, support for HEIF and the AVIF image, etc. And the story came to us from OMG Ubuntu. All right. You know, I haven't used Mint in a really long time. And now with the availability of Ventoy, <laughs> <laughs> I 
Maybe I should just run like seven different distributions a day and see how they work. I, I tried out um, just the other day, someone in passing in the chat, in the Discord chat, mentioned Farron OS and also mentioned Fedora Silverblue. And so I just like popped around and tried those because I could. it's very easy to try it on bare metal that way yep very very easy of course i was doing it in hyper v for some reason my my windows 11 box that i use for work does not really like um virtual box not really sure why Hmm. it like networking was all messed up and i was having issues with it so uh, I, i started using hyper v and you know it seems to be fine so whatever you use what you can use it all works basically the same Interesting. I, I might try. I might give VirtualBox another try here, you know, someday. But I've I've been using Hyper-V without issue. So, and of course, I use uh, WSL as well. And uh, you know, my workflow is fine. So it's one of those things that's really back burner. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, check that out if you're into Linux Mint or you want to see where Linux Mint is going. And uh, that brings us down to Linux in the Ham Shack. And Bill has been apparently blowing away his XPS 13 and. <laughs> And doing new stuff with it, so he has an update. Yeah, and apparently I need to blow away this computer too. Geez, I'm I'm watching my <laughs> my USB device disconnect and reconnect and disconnect and reconnect. So I'll I'll pay attention to the screen. If it goes silent, you'll hear me go silent for a second. Then I'll pick back up. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I took the uh, XPS 13 and removed Pop OS after our discussion with Aaron over there at uh, Dragon OS or SEMA SEMA Executor. And uh, yeah, I wanted to try out uh, my RTL SDR dongle four. On that on that platform, without all the hackiness that I did to my Pop OS uh, installation, um, and then uh, as soon as I got it on there, I couldn't take the SDDM and LXQt, so I quickly just installed the uh, GDM and GNOME, and uh, you know at least minimally it it looks more pleasing to the eye to me. <laughs> I still have access to all the software that's on there for uh, for Dragon OS. And uh, I really kind of want to dig into using the SIG Digger, even though I know I can install it in Pop OS. I just didn't want my hackish system involved. And uh, yeah, SIG Digger, I just want to briefly mention, is a Qt5 digital signal analyzer written in C, C++ that runs in GNU Linux, uh, Mac OS, and Windows. Unlike existing alternatives, SIG Digger is not based on GNU radio. Instead, it uses its own DSP libraries called SIGUtils and a real-time signal analysis library called SUSCAN. So SUS, totally SUS. Uh, that exploits multi-core CPUs to distribute the load. Also, SigDigger supports most SDR devices in the market thanks to Soapy SDR, which, if you remember from our show, is not really recommended <laughs> in Dragon OS. Uh, but anyway, SigUtils, SysScan, and SigDigger are software libre, licensed under the terms of the GPL license version three and uh, just some of the quick features here uh, it uh, supports uh, it's cross-platform it's op- OpenGL enhanced spectrum and waterfall so it means it uh, definitely uh, lives better in a uh, hardware accelerated environment uh, both real-time and replay analysis modes analog playback for uh, your AM FM LSB USB uh, goodness baseband recording a uh, bunch of uh, signal inspection like AFSK, FSK, PSK. Um, I'm assuming, uh, I think uh, on some of the screens, if you're doing QAM or something like that, you can actually see the individual points to the QAM signal. Signal A bunch of cool little tools and stuff like that. And we really haven't ever dug into this one because I really didn't know about this one. So I'm going to play around with it some more and uh, see if I can get some more uh 
you know, internal feedback myself of actually using it and, and see how, how I would use it uh, versus, let's say, SDR++ or GQRX or SDR Angel um, in, in this kind of environment uh, with, my, with my shiny new RTL SDR version 4. So I uh, just kind of wanted to give them a little bit of props because it looks, uh, looks like an interesting uh, application for sure. All right, sounds good. And uh, maybe a topic for a deep dive. We can we can delve into the depths of Sig Digger. Quite possibly. It seems like a really cool thing, and we have been talking a lot about SDRs. They're they're very popular because there's there's all those different things. Because you've got now you've got the people like Hackaday putting out things for SDR, and what was the what's the five SDR thing? The five SDR thing. It was it four or five that they're all stuck together. Um, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's a single unit that's like four SDRs all in one. Oh, oh yeah, the uh, Kraken. Yeah, the Kraken stuff like that. So lots of uses for SDR, and of course, some of the modern radios out there are all SDRs too internally, like the Flex Radio and so on. So lots of interest in SDR these days. I'll just throw in that I've been digging on uh, Bodhi Linux with Moksha we talked about on a few episodes ago and i threw it on one of my computers here and i'm i'm really starting to like it and i'm thinking about maybe taking some stuff off other things and going with it um it it runs so much faster than the um garuda on, on some of the older hardware that i have here and the enlightenment desktop is just as crisp and clean as you know kde and plasma and stuff like that and everything that i've tried to do with it works and you don't have to worry about the vagaries of Pac-Man and the all the archiness in the background. And I don't know. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So if you want to give uh, Bodhi Linux a try, Bodhi Linux 7 with Moksha, I, I highly recommend it. Interesting. So with that being said, we're down to announcements and feedback. And Bill has a rather large, excuse me, a rather a large announcement. <laughs> yeah, we've been mentioning over the last few podcasts that uh, I would be going to Linux Fest Northwest and a uh, it's been canceled, unfortunately, or postponed. Nobody likes to use the word canceled anymore, but uh, apparently they've received unfortunate news. The Bellingham Technical College, where Linux Fest Northwest has been for hosted for for 20 plus years, has announced facility closures for the fall quarter due to emergency repairs. So as a result, the Linux Fest Northwest 2023 for uh, October 20th through the 22nd must be postponed. So I hear there are still going to be some uh, live events going on there. So there'll still be some meetups and whatnot, but there will no longer be the uh, LF, you know, Linux Fest occurring. So hopefully you're not like me and had already made plans and <laughs> now I'm going to turn the whole thing into just a vacation. So uh, <laughs> the thought that you're just going to have to go to Washington for vacation. I mean, oh, geez, yeah. Well, yeah. whatever will you do? Yes. Yeah. So and we happen to be staying at a nice spa hotel. So, yeah, might actually have to get some spa time in. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That sounds like way more fun than Linux Fest Northwest, but <laughs> quite possibly. Uh, all right. Very good. We did get some feedback on YouTube from uh, Mr. Jay Lassiter on the last episode that was published, which means Bill must actually be caught up with posting our episodes on YouTube at this point. Yeah. Ah, sweet. Excellent. Uh, he says, Ham Radio. Linux, what's not to like? Fair point. <laughs> not much I can add to that, but thanks for the feedback. We really appreciate it. I don't know that we mentioned the Reddit feedback <laughs> in the show, but yeah, we got some hate on Reddit, but that was that was nine months ago. So yeah, whatever. We, we don't have to talk about it. You can dig around on Hamcasters if you want to find it. It's there. And where are we? We're, yeah, yeah, we're doing this thing where we have new subscribers, supporters, and live participants. I guess we should get to that. Yeah. 
Along those lines, let's talk about the people who joined up recently. We have Thomas David Hood on Facebook, Jerry Woods, Arnie Berger, and Justin Fry. On X, we have at Vane Jim. Nothing on Instagram. On Mastodon, we had at WA4GK, at AC7KY, at Chris Guy, at Deb1046, and at NDZ. On YouTube, we have Travis Newman. Nobody new on the mailing list. Of course, this has only been a few days since the last recording, so I'm kind of surprised we have as many as we have here. Uh, on Discord, we have several new folks, too. We have Dell, KF0BGG, Matthew, KB0X, LKJGO87, Driven Mads, and Jan Luca. And tonight in the live chat, we had Ted, WA0EIR, Tony, K4XSS, Darren, VK60K, Don, KB2YSI, Steve, KJ5T, and I don't see anybody else to add to the list, so I guess we're going to end it there. This has been episode number 517 of Linux in the Ham Shack. We were glad that you could be part of it, listen to it, or whatever. We're glad for all of you who support us, whether you just download the show or whether you support us financially. Everything you do helps us keep the lights on, and word of mouth is a great tool for getting uh, the information out there. So if you want to give us a casual mention wherever you go, that would be really great. There's merchandise, too. We don't mention it that much, but it's out there. A couple of different stores for different things. So if you want to wear some cool swag, you know, check that out. Stuff's available. And we appreciate that as well. Helps keep the lights on. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. And uh, we'll catch you all in a week. Hope you have a good one. This has been episode number 517 of Linux in the Hamshack. For the on assignment, Cheryl W5MOO, I'm Russ K5TUX. And I'm Bill NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. (laughs) 